Uh, if you have your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. If you do not have a Bible, as always, there should be one under a seat around you somewhere if you want to pick that up. Uh, I'm going to do a little recap this morning, kind of make sure we're all on the same page. We've been in a series, the book of Nehemiah, I think this is four-ish, five weeks, I don't know, they all run together after a while for me. Uh, but just to kind of let you know where we've been, we started several weeks ago in Nehemiah chapter 1, and um, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king of Persia, okay, and so um, he was a, a Jewish man that after uh, Jerusalem was overran, they were sent into exile, uh, Nehemiah found himself in the king's high court, uh, and while he's serving there, he gets a report that things in Jerusalem are not good, that, that as some of these exiled Jews had returned, the city was destroyed, the wall was broken down, they were uh, in danger, they were really vulnerable. And so Nehemiah's heart was burdened and, and broken, and so he begins to pray uh, in Nehemiah chapter 1. He begins to pray uh, that the Lord would give him favor in the sight of, of the king. Okay, and then we get to chapter 2, and what we saw was that uh, as Nehemiah prayed, he, he takes his request to the king. He says, hey, I need a, he requests a leave of absence. He says, I need to go back to Jerusalem, and I need to... Uh, to do a work there. My people are uh, in danger. My, the, the city of my, my ancestors is destroyed. Uh, and so he asked the king for uh, kind of a leave of absence. Um, he asked for, not only that, he asked for uh, sort of some authorization to travel through the different provinces to get back to where he needs to go. Uh, he was even bold enough to ask for materials to help in the building process. And then the Lord uh, as he, he prayed, the Lord grants him favor inside of the king, and so he, the king, king grants his request and all these things. Uh, and Nehemiah, uh, again later in chapter 2, returns to the city of Jerusalem, and he sees it firsthand, and it's destroyed, and it's broken down, and uh, the temple's destroyed, the, uh, the homes are destroyed, the walls destroyed, like everything is in shambles. Okay, And then um, what we see is that that upon seeing that, Nehemiah cast this vision to the people, right? This burden that the Lord had laid on his heart, uh, he cast that vision to the rest of the people in Jerusalem, and they're like, hey, right, if, this, if the Lord's in it, then, then we're in, okay? And so they, uh, he cast the vision, they, they join in, they begin the work. Uh, we didn't read chapter 3, I encourage you to read it on your own time. Uh, it's redundant and not exciting to read, but it, it casts a vision of the people just working side by side. Like this this group of people working on this part of the wall, accomplishing this task, and that carries through the book, or I'm sorry, through chapter 3, which brings us this morning to chapter 4. So up to this point, everything, it's kind of been smooth sailing, right? Nehemiah makes his request, the king grants his request, he's cast vision to the people, the people catch on the vision, they're like, we're in, right? Everything's kind of fallen into place uh, smooth sailing up to this point, but what we're going to see here in Nehemiah chapter 4 is that the water gets a little bit choppy. So um, we're going to do it a little differently this week. I'm not going to ask you to stand. You can stay seated because we're going to just move through um, kind of the first half of chapter 4, uh, just kind of chunk by chunk. And I want to, what I want you to see is just sort of building tension between the people of God that were doing the work and the opposition that they faced. So we're going to start reading in Nehemiah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, when now, now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, 
What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who I imagine, he, so like Samballot's the bully. I imagine Tobiah here is being like the annoying little sidekick to the bully. You know what I'm talking about? So Tobiah the Ammonite was beside Samballot, and he said, yes. What they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Right? So what you get here, right, to, to set the scene, okay, to kind of understand what's happening here, when uh, Jerusalem was, the area was originally overthrown by the Babylonian Empire. Right? They come and you can read about some of that in uh, Jeremiah. You see some of that in the book of Daniel. Uh, the Babylons came in. They overthrew the area. They took everything under their control. And then some years later, the Persians showed up. Uh, and they kick the Babylonians out, and they take over and set up reign, right? And so they reign over not only the Jews and the kingdom of Judah, but some of the surrounding areas as well, including some of those who were enemies or uh, who were uh, sort of in opposition to the Jewish people, okay? They're all under Persian rule and reign. And so we're introduced here to two people, Sam Ballot and his annoying little sidekick, Tobiah, who were most likely governors of some of these uh, surrounding regions, okay? And, and they were specifically represented, these kingdoms that many, many years ago, when the, the Israelites came into the promised land, God drove these nations out so that Israel could have the promised land, right? So you've got these people, like, they already don't like the Jewish people, right? And this is not actually, uh, the, this is not the first time we see them in the book of Nehemiah. If you go back to chapter 2, verses 10, and again in verses 19, uh, you, you see Sam Ballot and Tobiah there, but at that point, they're just kind of like annoyed at the, the Jews that are rebuilding, right? They're just kind of like, they just disapprove, right? But, but what we see here in chapter four is, is that begins to ramp up and what was like, you know, they were annoyed and they disapproved of the work in chapter two. When we get to chapter four, what we see here is now there's sort of verbal assault and ridicule against the people of God. But what I want you to see in verse 4, I want you to notice this is Nehemiah's response to it. He says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Okay, now, anybody, anybody prayed a prayer like that this week? Right, that's, a, like that's quite a prayer. Right? In, in effect, what, what Nehemiah is saying here is, God, give them over to uh, those who will destroy their homes and steal and plunder their goods and do not forgive them from their guilt or their sin or their iniquities. So anybody pray a prayer like that this week? Good. If somebody next to you had their hand raised, I would recommend moving seats, okay? <laughs> would, right, it's sketchy, right? You guys are saving those prayers for election season, aren't you? Um, see, I, always just, I always just go too far. Like there's a line and I just I step over it, okay? Um, anyways, there's actually a lot of prayers like that in the Bible, Okay, you read through the book of Psalms, you'd see they're called the imprecatory prayers. And it's, 
Uh, it's basically that, that term and that sort of prayer is, is basically God's people just praying for, for justice and God to execute his, his judgment on those who are opposed to or, or enemies of God. And maybe, listen, how about one, maybe one summer we'll just do like a, a sermon series on the imprecatory Psalms. Wouldn't that be a, just a blast? No? Okay, we won't do that. Um, there's a lot that, that I could say about that sort of praying, but what I would say is this. If nothing else, it's honest. Right? Nehemiah knows that nothing is hidden from the Lord. And this is the way he feels, and so he just lets it rip, man. Okay? But, but just as important as what Nehemiah prays, what I want you to see is what he, what he doesn't do. Okay? And, and to show you this, when you look at verse 6. So he prays this sort of prayer, right? Like, let them be oppressed and enslaved and destroyed. But then in verse 6, it says, So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So here's what happens. They threaten Samballot, Tobiah, enemies. They threaten Nehemiah and the people. Nehemiah prays. And then he gets back to work. Right? Notice that at, at no point in this little interaction right here, at no point does Nehemiah engage in sort of the name-calling and the, the mudslinging that still distracts the people of God some 2,500 years later from the work that God's called us to do. Right? Ne- Nehemiah's prayer, imprecatory in nature as it was, his prayer was basically... Uh, Lord, I'm trusting you to execute justice. I'm trusting you to do what's right. Because right? I'm trusting you to take care of this because I got work to do and I don't have time to deal with it. Right? And if this is not a word for us in 2023, like, I don't know what is. Right? Like, how much time, like, how much time is wasted by the people of God yelling at each other and fighting with each other and tweeting each other and posting about things online, like try, trying, to, trying to address the opinions and, and disapproval of, of people who, who, who really cares what they think or what they say. Right now, I'm not saying there's never a time when we need to defend ourselves or what we believe. I mean, we're going to see that in the text here in just a minute. Right? There are times when we need to defend Defend ourselves, defend what we believe, defend the truth. But I'm just convinced that far more often than not, right, we would be much better served to just trust it to the Lord, keep our heads down, and keep doing the work the Lord's called us to, right? So let's keep going, though, verse 7, because that's not the end of this dispute. Verse 7, it says, when Sanballat... And Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed. They were very angry. And catch this, verse 8. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Right? So despite by, like despite what by my estimation, was a pretty good response to the first threat. Okay, what we see here is that, that the uh, Sanballat and Tobiah, um, like the threat has sort of increased, right? The, the tension rises here. And so it, it went from, in chapter two, just sort of they were annoyed and they disapproved 
now here in the first, first kind of interaction in chapter 4, there's verbal assault, there's ridicule, and now we've progressed to the point where uh, Sanballat, Tobiah, has recruited the surrounding nations, and they've begun to, to put a plan, a proactive plan in place to, uh, to not just discourage the Jews, but to fight and wage war against them. Right? So you see this progression of, of hostility here. And, and what I want you to see, though, is, is once again, Nehemiah's response in verse 9. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. Right? He, Nehemiah, dude, just cool as a cucumber, man. Like, I aspire to that. I kind of think I'm kind of, kind of chill, but like, I mean, this dude's getting, getting death threats from surrounding enemies, and he's like, okay, here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to pray. We're going to set, set a watchman up to kind of just pay attention, and we're going keep, to keep at it. Right? He's not panicked. He's not stressed. At least he's not showing it if he's stressed. Right? He, he, he entrusted it to, to the Lord. And I think what, what you see here like is, is when Nehemiah is faced with, with opposition, what, what could have been a really discouraging uh, moment for them actually reveals a, a really deep uh, trust and determination to continue in the work the Lord called them to despite the opposition they faced. So the narrative continues in verse 10. Here we kind of see some of the response of, of some of the others. It says, In Judah it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Okay, I, here I think what we start to see here is that some of this external pressure from the surrounding enemies and their taunts and their ridicule and their assaults, and now they've got proactive plans to wage war against uh, the people in Jerusalem. I think what we begin to see is the sort of the external pressures begin to reveal some internal weaknesses. Okay, like the the people you can understand they're vulnerable, they're tired. They're exhausted. Right? They, they hear the threats and the taunts of their oppressors. They look and they see all the work that, that is still yet to do. And man, like they're just overwhelmed. Like we're not going to be able to do this alone. Anybody ever feel like that? Just me? Okay, a few of you. All right, fantastic. All right, you just feel like, like that's a thing. Like you can be determined. Right? determined to live in faithful obedience to what the Lord's called you to, and you can be exhausted in the middle of it. Right? In the Larkin family, we call those Sundays. Okay? I mean, I'm, listen, you don't believe spiritual warfare is real. You come hang out with us on a Sunday. I'm telling you, it's like legit. Okay? Right? Like, that's a real thing, to be called to do a work, right? Be called of God. He puts a burden on your heart to accomplish your work, you like give your life to it, then you look around and you're like, man, am I, what are we doing here? I'm exhausted, I'm tired. Like that's a real thing. Okay, and, and, and over time, that kind of discouragement and exhaustion wears on you, which I think is what we see in the next couple of verses. Look at 11 and 12. It said, and our enemies said, this is verse 11, and our enemies said, 
They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And at that time, the Jews who lived near them, near, near the enemies who were making the taunts and the threats, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the midst of the work and in, in seeing like all that's left to do, and feeling tired and exhausted and overwhelmed, at least some of the Jews kind of look at it and they say, man, is this really worth it? Right, they look and they see all the work that's left to do, and they're like, is this worth the pain? Is it worth the ridicule? Is it worth exhaustion? Is it worth threats and taunts and discomfort and danger? And so they do what people often do in the midst of opposition. They give some really bad counsel, right? They, these Jews that were kind of near the enemies, nearest where kind of they're, like they're feeling the threats the most, says they, they go back to the other Jews that are working. They're like, you must return to us. Stop what you're doing. It's, God gave you this vision, but at what cost? Is it, and we, we don't want to see you hurt. We don't want to see you uh, face difficulty or discomfort. We don't want to see you uh, exhausted. We don't want to see you killed. So stop the work. Put down your tools. Come to us. Because they look out and they see all the opposition they're facing. And they're like, you know what? Maybe God's not in this anyways. Maybe the, all this opposition is just... God's way of saying, like, hey, this is not exactly the work I have for you. And they give really bad counsel to the other, the other Jews. And they're like, hey, it's not worth it. Lay down your tools. Drop them. Okay? And so, whereas Nehemiah's response to the opposition revealed this sort of deep trust and determination on what the Lord had called him to do, here you see some of the Jews, their response to the opposition Reveals they've got some doubts. Right? They, they've got some concerns. Again, maybe God's not really in this work after all, because if he was, why would it be so hard? And, and here's what I want you to lean in for. Like, one of the most like, devastating, paralyzing lies that I think you could ever believe is that living in the center of God's will for your life somehow means that everything is going to be peachy and wonderful and rainbows and unicorns, and it's going to be easy. Like, I just think that's a lie from the pits of hell. Right? That somehow, like, following Jesus, right, becoming a Christian, following Jesus, walking in faithful obedience to the Lord, means that, that everything is going to be easy and all of your problems are going to go away. You, you want to set yourself up for a life of doubt and despair and disillusionment. You just believe that. Right? That's like there's nonsensical. And there are some that would preach and teach that follow Jesus and everything is great. Health, wealth, happiness, things will be awesome. The only problem is it's not in the Bible. I could probably go on on that, but let me get back on track here because we don't have that much time. 
here's what opposition does for us, the same as it did for them, is it reveals like where we've actually placed our trust. Right? Do we trust in the Lord who's called us to a work, even when it's hard? Or do we trust in the, the ever-changing comfort and convenience of our circumstances, our situations, our scenarios, kind of our, our station in life? Right? And so what do we do when we're ridiculed? Right? What, do, what do we do when things get hard? What do we, what do, we do when, we're, when we're despised or we are discouraged or, or we're mocked or, or worse? What do we do when we're actively opposed? Right? I think Nehemiah gives us a way forward. Look at verse 13. It says, So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places... I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. So Nehemiah hears the taunts of the people, his, his oppressors, his enemies. He hears the concerns of his own people, their doubts, their worries, their fears. Right? And, and like the good leader he is, he hears their requests, but rather than give in to the opposition, rather than kind of punt on the work that the Lord had called him to, what Nehemiah does is he, he models for them this sort of godly perseverance that does not fold under pressure. He makes some adjustments, changes some things, moves some people around. Right? But what we see is that the work, the work doesn't stop. It may not look the same as it did, but the work continues. And so as I, I thought of that this week, kind of studying through this and thinking about what does it look like to, to remain faithful in the face of opposition, I could not help but think of, uh, we have some very good friends, um, Brad and Stephanie Roberts. I think there's a picture of them uh, that I have. Maybe it's up there. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But, oh, there we go. I don't know if you can see any of those or not, but that's our family, the Roberts family. Um, so these are some of our very, very best friends. We knew them from Somerset. They still live there. Uh, they're like the kind of friends that like know that you're good, bad, and ugly. So if you guys ever need some dirt on the Larkin family, you guys ever need incriminating evidence, these are the people, okay? But because they're good friends, they're not going to tell you any of that stuff. So your, your attempt would be in vain. But so Brad and Stephanie, um, several years ago, felt uh, the Lord calling them to... Uh, minister to some of the most vulnerable children in the world in the country of Guatemala. Okay, they, they both um, had, a, had some experience speaking Spanish. Uh, Steph actually spent some time in Guatemala as kind of like a, a short-term, or I guess maybe of a longer-term missionary. And so um, they felt the Lord calling them to minister to the vulnerable children in Guatemala. There's Guatemala uh, at the time, I'm assuming it still does, had a huge uh, orphan crisis and, and you could not adopt children out of Guatemala. Like they had to remain in the country. So Brad and Stephanie said, hey, we want to do something about that. Why don't we just go to them? Right, and so they, and they packed up their lives. Right, at the time, it was Brad, Stephanie, and their oldest son, who was like a year old maybe at the time. They traveled the country for a year, raising support and funds and, and all that they needed. Uh, and then they packed up their lives and they moved to Guatemala. Okay. Uh, and they were going to start an orphanage there with an or organization called uh, Mana Worldwide, which would, an, would allow them to, to just 
bring in orphans that otherwise would not have the care and support and love that they needed. And they were going to minister to these orphans there in Guatemala City. And so uh, they, they get there, they get on the ground. Um, I think I, I mentioned they had one child at the, at the time, but when they went, um, Steph was pregnant with their second child. And so they go and they get on the ground and they get um, sort of go through the whole process of getting accustomed to living in a, a different country, a different culture, a new language. Uh, and then the next spring, it came time for um, Steph to give birth to their second child. So whole family travels back to the States. Uh, she gives birth to healthy uh, baby boy named Gideon. And he is the one in the kind of the white checkered shirt there in the front. And so, um, so they're there in the state or here in the States, um, healthy pregnancy, healthy delivery, healthy baby boy. Uh, once they kind of go through some of the early doctor's checks and whatnot, they whole family back to Guatemala. And they're only there for a couple of days when they realize that something is not right with our newborn son, right? And they, like, he was, he was laboring to breathe, like, struggling to breathe, was even, like, like, to the point of his body turning blue. And so Steph and Gideon hop on their first plane out of the country, right? Leave Guatemala. There's something wrong with our child. We got to figure out what is. And so what happened, kind of to make a, a longer story less long, is eventually the family comes back um, to kind of figure out what do we need to do uh, to get him the help he needs so that we can return to Guatemala. And what they found out through a series of doctor's appointments and uh, assessments and all that, tests, is that Gideon had a, uh, some sort of, of sickness, uh, a disease that basically prevented him from being able to, to breathe properly. His lungs didn't function properly in high altitudes, of which Guatemala is a place with a high altitude. So all of a sudden, they're faced with, what do we do now? I mean, they'd given up everything. They'd moved their life, their family, to this country to do the work that they were confident the Lord had called them to do. And, and, and now they're looking at it, and, and what do we do? And, and as you can understand, man, they were, they were devastated Right, devastated because they can't do the work that the Lord's called them to do because it means they're, like their son's life is in jeopardy. And so what happens is they end up uh, coming back to the States. Right, They pack up everything. Brad and I went down a few months later, packed up their entire lives in Guatemala, moved it all back to the States. And now they're sitting here kind of sifting through the fragments of a broken life. And like, what, what do we do now? We were confident that the Lord was in this. Like we were tracing the steps of their life and how their experiences, they were confident that this is the work the Lord had called them to. Why was there so much opposition? Why can we not do this? And he, here's the deal. They could have said, you know what? We tried it. Didn't work. Lord's not in it. We're out. They could have done that, and no one would have blamed them for it. Right? No one would have blamed them for it. But instead, what they did is that they weren't content with moving on from what the Lord had called them to. They were confident. The Lord has called us to care for the most vulnerable among us. So maybe we can't do that in the way that originally we thought we would, 
but we still believe the Lord's got that call on our life. So what does that look like now? And they begin to, to wrestle with that question. Right? How do we still fulfill this call that we feel like the Lord has put on us? Um, how, how, do we, how do we love and serve and minister to the most vulnerable? And that question, wrestling with that question over uh, a series of months, led them to realize that, that maybe they wouldn't be able to give their lives to, uh, to serve and minister the vulnerable children of Guatemala. But there's a whole host of vulnerable children right under their noses here in Kentucky. And so what Brad and Stephanie did was they took that call that got a place in their lives and they said, hey, this is not going to, we're not going to be able to pursue this in the way that we thought we would, but we still got this overarching call to care for vulnerable children. What does that look like now? And what it led to was them developing uh, a, uh, a nonprofit ministry called Be the Village. Uh, and Be the Village, what they do is they, um, I'm going to read it specifically so that I know that I get it right. Uh, they serve and support foster, adoptive, and at-risk children and families here in Kentucky. I mean, it's a, I mean, the Lord has blessed their ministry. It has blown up. It has grown. Uh, they've extended from, they started in Somerset. They've now got a second branch in Nicholasville, just south of Lexington. And I've already told them, hey, when the day comes and you're ready to move west, right, to the, to the wild west here in E-Town, we're in. All right, we're in. It's like, I, I, th I think... I think their story is just a powerful example of what it looks like. That when we, we face opposition, right, it, it doesn't mean that the Lord's not in it. It means that we may have to adapt. We may have to change some things around. We may have to pursue that work in a, in a different way. Right? Like they, they didn't face the threats of a foreign enemy, but they still faced the, the reality that, that living in a fallen world and the effects of the fallen world like meant that uh, like their son's life was threatened if they chose to continue in that, the work the way they had originally intended. But rather than just punting on it and saying like, well, we tried, didn't work out. No, they sort of recalibrate and they said, hey, the Lord's called us to do something here. We're going to move forward, forward in it. Might not look the way we thought it would look. Right? We had to adapt and edit and kind of back up and, and redirect. But the Lord's placed this call in our life. It's the good work he's given us to do, and we're going to do it to the best of our ability. Right, and, and listen, they are killing it. And I could not be more proud of them. I actually aspire to that kind of perseverance and, and boldness in the face of opposition. Okay, and I think to get back to the text here in Nehemiah, I'm, I'm not going to read it, but if you go on and read verses 15 through 22, the, the rest of chapter 4, I think what you see is this, how Nehemiah sort of did some, some correction. Right? He said, the work is not going to stop. The Lord has called us to this. We're going to do it. It looks a little differently than maybe I thought it would look. Right? They, at one point, they've got people building the walls with tools in one hand and like spears and swords in the other. It's kind of awesome, actually. Like, that's pretty tough, man. It's pretty tough. They're just a different breed of people, okay? Uh, that's, like, that's like Eastern Kentucky kind of people. And so I, I'm, I'm not really from Eastern Kentucky. I'm right on the border, but, like, it's a different kind of people, okay? And this is, like, that kind of people, right? They're saying, we're doing the work that we're called to do, and we'll pick up swords, and we'll fight anybody that tries to keep us from doing it, right? The Lord's called us to it. 
We're going to do it. Doesn't look like the way that we thought it would, but the work continues. And then I think we see, here's the motivation for that kind of response. Verse 14. Nehemiah says, And I looked around, I looked and arose, and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. The opposition, the oppressors, their threats. Do not be afraid of them. Catch this. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Here's here's how you and I continue the good work the Lord's called us to in the face of opposition. Two things. Look up. Look around. Look up, look around. Here's what I mean. Look up. When the Lord calls you to do something, remember who it is that actually called you to do it. It's the Lord. He is great. He is powerful. He is mighty. He is strong. He is sovereign. Right? According to verse 20, which I didn't read, but he fights for you. Right? And according to, to Hebrews chapter 13, he equips you with everything that you will need to accomplish his will and purpose for your life. So when you are faced with opposition, when you are, I mean, to the best of your ability, you're living in obedience to what the Lord's called you to, and you're like, gosh, why is this so hard? Look up. Remember the Lord. Then here's the second thing. Look around. See, we, we, we look up, vertical, we look up to the Lord who's called us to the work, but then we, we look around. We remember that we work and we serve and we sacrifice and we labor in the face of opposition, not primarily for ourselves, not for our own comfort, not for our own convenience, not for our own pleasure, but ultimately for the good of others, right? Our children our families, our homes, our church, our community. Look up, look around. And, and really, here's, what, here's the example given to us. Right, we, we continue the good work the Lord's called us to in the face of opposition by looking to Jesus. Right, is, this not, is this not what Jesus did? Right, he was opposed in every way imaginable. I mean, ridiculed, despised, rejected, beaten, and yet never once backed down or, or veered from God's will for his life. Right? Never once turned away from what God had called him to. And it was hard. He willingly, gladly, joyfully sacrificed his life on the cross to save sinners like you and me. So I would just say, listen, wherever you are this morning, you've been called into a good work. Like, it looks different for each of us, right? The Lord calls us into different things at different times, different seasons of life, right? But we've all got a good work we've been called into, right? If you're married, love your spouse, okay? If you've got a, children, raise those children in the, the discipline and instruction 
of the Lord. Right? Serve your church. Serve your community. Share and, and spread the gospel to a world that desperately needs it. The places you live and you work and you play. This, all of these things are, are good work and they will not always be easy and they will often be met with plenty of opposition. Because again, you, you, you try to live in faithful obedience to what the Lord's called you to, you can almost guarantee you're going to take some shots. Right, it's like signing up for opposition. And so there will be difficulties, there will be opposition, but when that comes, not if, but when that comes, look up, be reminded it's the Lord that called you into this work in the first place. It's never in vain. Your labor for him is never in vain. Right? And, and, and look around. Right? Look around. You, you are serving and working and sticking with it for the good of others. So I would leave you with these words from the author of Hebrews. All right, here's, here's what he writes. Consider him, he's talking about Jesus. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility, such opposition, such difficulty against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Continue in the good work the Lord's called you to. It may mean you need to revisit some of those plans. You may need to rework some of those plans but may we not be a people who retreat from the work the Lord's called us to. All right, let's pray. Father, we come to you. We're grateful for your, uh, your work in our lives. Um, in this moment, Lord, I just think about just being grateful for um, the example of Jesus who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He endured opposition. He endured ridicule. He did endured mocking, or he endured pain and suffering to accomplish the work that you had given him, the salvation of all those who would trust and believe on his name. So Lord, I, I pray that we would consider him who, who endured such hostility against himself. I pray that we would consider him so that we would not grow weary or faint-hearted in the work that you've called us to. And so, Father, for Lord, maybe the, the man or woman in this room, that they're like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in it. I'm trying to serve, but good grief, it's hard. I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would, um, Lord, help, give them endurance and perseverance to continue in the face of opposition, whatever that looks like. Maybe it's mocking, maybe it's threats, maybe it's disapproval, maybe it's just... The, the challenges of living in a, uh, a fallen, sinful world, I pray, Lord, that you would give them strength to endure and to continue the good work that you've called them to do. And then, Father, for the rest of us, maybe we haven't experienced that yet, but I, Lord, the, the day's coming. I think living in faithful obedience to your call in our lives almost means that we're going to face some opposition. And so I pray really like the people prayed back in Nehemiah 2 that, that you would strengthen our hands for the good work so that on that day when we face 
taunts, ridicule, assaults, or we face opposition of, of different kinds and calibers, I pray that we would, we would not retreat or back down from the work that you've called us to do. So it would help us, strengthen us, pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.